0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, the weekly podcast where we take a deep dive into our scripture text for this Sunday um, at St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Orlando. And we're going to give you the chance to learn God's story so that you can live, love, and lead a life following Jesus. Now, this week, we find ourselves approaching our first Sunday in Lent. Now, like Advent, Lent is a preparatory season where we do personal work. We do self-reflection and self-examination of ourselves and our spiritual lives as we move toward the feast day of Easter and the resurrection celebration. But to get to the joy and light of Easter, we journey through a more dark and moody season first, and that, for us, is Lent. Now this year we're continuing our whole year series that is um, called On Purpose, that we want to to be people who live on purpose, intentionally, uh, in our faith and in our lives. And we are focusing in Lent on Jesus' journey to the cross uh, through the lens of love, that his whole purposeful journey towards the cross is an example of love on purpose. We're going to look at the ways that even moving on a journey that was destined for death, even as he had to tell his followers, his disciples, his closest friends, that there were bad things coming, that the road ahead was hard for him, but also for them, even in all of that, that he intentionally was showing love. And we glean this season from those lessons as well. We see what love looks like in Jesus' journey to the cross so that we can ask the questions of discipleship in our own lives. What does sacrificial love look like for each of us? And what is it about my life that I need to examine in this season that will help me better embody a Jesus kind of love? Not by accident, but on purpose. Now this week we learn that love on purpose is a love that follows. We begin with a passage that should sound a little familiar as we used part of it for our baptism renewal Sunday just a few weeks ago, but this pericope is slightly different and goes a little bit farther into the story. So let's read together. Um, I will be reading from the Common English Bible. We are in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 starting in verse 9. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open, and the Spirit, like a dove, coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. At once, the Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness, He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives, and trust this is good news. Now this passage is what we consider generally the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the three synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And today's passage is from Mark's version of it, which would have been the earliest written account of Jesus' baptism. Of the different gospel accounts, this is also by far the most brief narration of events, especially the telling of Jesus' experience in the wilderness. And yet we still find some unique elements in this version of the story that give us an idea of what the writer of Mark wanted us to know about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now we have to back up a few verses to really get a clear picture of where Mark wants to be sure we all start. Because in verse 1 mark 1 1 we already get the writer's very clear agenda it says the beginning of the good news about jesus christ god's son happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of isaiah mark the writer of mark does not beat around the bush this person is writing for us the audience mark is not trying to create any suspense. Mark is not going to give us any jump scares. Mark does not want there to be any question whosoever this Jesus is. What's going to happen to him? And that this is what the prophet Isaiah foretold long ago. No surprises. Because Mark's entire agenda really is about us as the readers. Now, I doubt the writer had 21st century Christians in mind, But they did have in mind those who were seeking to follow the way of Jesus, who were wondering what this way of life and belief that the early Christian community um, was supposed to look like. And Mark's gospel answers the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? So we'll see those themes throughout all of our exploration of of Mark's uh, uh, passages that we see in Lent both this week and next week. Now, first, Mark says, you as a disciple, you have to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. How do we know? Because when he was baptized, God said so. The heavens tore open, the spirit descended, boom, see? Clear. And also, Mark wants you to know, Jesus is gonna have a rough go of it. Lots of people against him, lots of pushback, and eventually he's gonna be killed. But he's ready for it. Cause see, he spent forty days in the wilderness. And what happened there? Man, the details are irrelevant, but it was hard. There were wild animals, there was temptation, and he made it out. Now, let's get going on this ministry thing because the kingdom of God is at hand. That is what we just heard in Mark's Gospel. Mark gets to the point. And Mark thinks that's all you need to be ready to see what it means to follow Jesus. You don't need a birth narrative. You don't need to understand where John the Baptist came from entirely. You don't need to know about Mary. You don't need to know about Elizabeth. None of those things are relevant. To understand what it is that Jesus is here for, who Jesus is, and what you as a disciple need to understand. This section of Mark seems so quick compared to the other gospels. It's it almost feels scattershot. It almost feels like a, a montage. But Mark has actually taken these few words and jam-packed them with symbols and meaning. And so While we may miss our birth narrative, while we may miss some of these other pieces, I want to unpack what here is in Mark and why we can see this as some of our our fundamental understandings of what it means to be a disciple as well. Now, one of the big questions that is an ongoing theological debate has to do with when, if, and how Jesus became or was aware of who exactly he was and what his life's calling and purpose was. When exactly did he realize he was God incarnate? And when exactly did he become aware that his earthly fate would end on a cross? There is not a definitive answer to that question. You can read all the theology you want. There are differing opinions on this. You're welcome to ponder it yourself and what the implications of those different understandings might be. But there could be an argument made that for Mark, it was in this moment of the heavens being opened and God's voice speaking to Jesus. Now, side note, this was speaking just to Jesus because in this account, the voice speaks in the second person, you are my son, implying that Jesus may have been the only one to hear it. It could be that for Mark's writer, this is when they believe Jesus became self-aware. The voice from heaven's declaration, along with the descent of the spirit, which descends on him, into him, and then stays with him. You see, we see echoes of the Isaiah prophecies that Mark's writer wants to emphasize. The heavens are torn open, like we hear the people pleading for in Isaiah 64. We hear Isaiah 42's description of the servant who is to come and save the people as one with whom god is well pleased the opening of the heavens signals a new method of communication between god and humankind but in this case it's specifically with and through jesus who uniquely hears the voice this divine inbreaking moment signals that there is something new beginning a new identity a new relationship a new vocation certainly for jesus but We can extrapolate that the Marken writer wants us to see this as a moment of vocational change for us as well as readers. Because in this moment, we get to see the two distinct spheres of the divine supernatural realm and the tangible physical world merge. And it happens in the waters of the Jordan River, in a natural element that becomes the intersection of human and divine. And we can't miss that this happens in the same river that the Israelites crossed to enter the promised land. Water had already been a symbol of salvation and would have been recognized as such for the readers from the Red Sea to the Jordan River. And so it's not a coincidence that Mark places Jesus' ministry beginning in the waters of a river that already represented liberation and deliverance and healing and wholeness. For their readers but that's just it all of this is for us us as readers who are now in on what's hidden in plain sight throughout the rest of the gospel mark spells it out for us at the very beginning but for the characters in the narrative Uh, We have what is known as the messianic secret that's a theme throughout the gospel narrative. We again and again see Jesus telling people not to reveal who he is. And we'll see that really dramatically played out next week in our conversation about Peter. But enough with this beautiful moment in the river, Mark says, because although the Spirit descends gracefully like a dove into Jesus, the Spirit really turns on him because after this it forces him into the wilderness. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about this moment, because in other Gospels, the Spirit leads and guides, but in Mark's Gospel, she forces. Jesus doesn't get a chance to say a single public word, no first sermon, no acceptance speech, before he is dropped smack in the middle of a place of chaos and trouble in the wilderness. Now, this is by far the shortest account of Jesus' time in the wilderness of of the Gospels, but it is still full of key elements for us to understand more of what Mark is seeking to tell us about Jesus' ministry origin story. While the crossing of the Jordan was the end of the wilderness journey for the Israelites, Jesus' baptism in the Jordan is the precursor to his own wilderness journey. Mark's author does want us to make this connection, because they identify Jesus' time in the wilderness as 40 days which parallels the Israelites 40 years. In addition, in addition to this connection, uh, the first readers of the gospel would have connected the image of the wilderness with a general theme of danger and of temptation and of threat of chaos. That chaos in the wilderness can be connected as well to the chaos at the beginning of creation, out of which God brought order and wholeness and goodness. But we hear that in the midst of this chaos, Jesus is not alone. The author names both wild beasts and angels and that so often misinterpreted character of Satan. Now, unlike the other synoptic gospels, Mark doesn't spend time outlining the specific temptations or tests Jesus is faced with in the wilderness. That's not the point of the story for Mark. Instead, Mark wants to make abundantly clear that this 40-day period of trial is leading to a new exodus, leading to a new era of liberation, and Jesus and Jesus alone is at the center of it. The lack of specificity of events in the wilderness allows this to simply be seen as an environment of great uncertainty, where Jesus is going to be able to decide what he is going to do with the calling he has just received. The inclusion of the wild animals and angels emphasizes that Jesus is unlike humans and that he coexists peacefully with the animals, unlike those said to be affected by Adam's fall, and that the heavenly beings, the angels, continue to care for him. So he has a particular relationship to the divine. And while Jesus' exceptional divine nature is key, Mark still wants to see wants us to see him as a companion on our own discipleship journey by including this wilderness narrative. Because before Jesus is going to call disciples who will continually wrestle with his identity and their own callings, Mark wants us to see that he, Jesus himself, has also wrestled. That he has also come out of the wilderness ready to declare the presence of God's kingdom. One scholar puts it this way, it's almost as though Jesus cannot credibly say or preach anything until this happens. Jesus has to enter the worst of evil on this planet before he can reliably declare that the kingdom of God has drawn near. Maybe that's because the kingdom of God cannot draw near until the kingdom of darkness, epitomized by the deep, of, the deep desert of evil, is engaged. Now, finally, our passage closes, and we hear that John has been arrested. Now, there's not really any indication of how much time elapsed after the wilderness narrative, but that's irrelevant to Mark. It's time to get on with the rest of the story. And in naming John's arrest as the framing for Jesus' first declaration of the kingdom of God, we see already the foreshadowing of Jesus' own arrest and crucifixion. Again, Mark is not trying to hide what is coming. And what they are inviting, the hearers of this gospel, to trust in. First, it's good news. Good news about God. And the timing, like everything else in Mark, is right now. And you, reader, are invited to follow Jesus into this calling, not later, but here and now. There is urgency to this. This declaration of Jesus' mission is a hinge point for the gospel. It's both the both the end of Mark's prologue and the beginning of Jesus' formal ministry, and it forces the reader to ask the question, am I ready to follow this man into the rest of the story? Lent is a season of preparation, and the opening of Mark's gospel raises the question of what it means to prepare for God's coming. But Mark also answers the question, It means hearing calling and then following Jesus into the wilderness and on the road to Jerusalem, where an even worse fate awaits from arrest to eventually the giving of his life. Mark is not asking us to follow Jesus into anything that Mark hasn't already told us about. You know, preparation for Jesus is not what we think of in that Advent season of preparation, that Advent where we talk about preparation of of nesting to prepare for a new baby. For Mark and for Lent, personal preparation is what is required to see if we have done what we need to do to truly follow him. One commentator put it this way, it says, To prepare for the Lord's coming, the people must make a radical return to God. They must entrust themselves to God's word and not go looking for their own insurance policy. Excessive anxiety about success and security often leads to compromises with our religious values and personal well-being. Mark has laid out the journey ahead for us, and he is not mincing words. But when we look for the love we see in Jesus' example, even in this more harsh, abrupt gospel account, we see a few things. We see Jesus taking the time to prepare himself. So often we we consider calling to be something that is one and done and that the calling and the preparation are one and the same. In a bolt of lightning moment, God declares what we must do, and we do it. And yet, even here in the most urgent and abrupt gospel. Jesus goes to the river and allows himself to be baptized by his cousin and prophet. He hears and listens for his father's voice. And then he spends 40 days in preparation in harsh conditions so that he will be ready for the fullness of the ministry that is ahead of him. And because of all of that, Before he begins bringing others into his vision, he is clear on what he is setting out to do. Like John the Baptist and Jesus, we have to have the courage not just to answer God's call, but to actually follow. Following implies a process, not a moment. Following implies a journey, not an occasion. This is a long-term commitment for which we must prepare ourselves. We follow Jesus into the waters of baptism, and we hear our own identity and calling. We follow Jesus into the wilderness discomfort while angels are there to care for us. And then we will follow into the future that has been made clear to us as well. Love, love follows. But love doesn't follow blindly. Love follows with preparation. Love follows not blindly, but knowing what is in fact to come. Jesus' love doesn't invite us to follow into any places he himself has not already gone. Jesus' love does not bait and switch us into thinking the life of discipleship is going to be anything but a perilous one. And yet, we know the rest of the story. And so, this Lent, together we prepare and we follow.